This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. It has been more than 100 days now since Joe Biden stepped into the White House. And now we know that all his talk of healing and unity was, as many of us predicted, just empty rhetoric. The Family Research Council has taken a close look at the record number of actions this president has taken against life, family and religious freedom in these first 100 days. And the results are nothing to celebrate. It is all outlined in a new FRC resource called Tracking the Biden Administration. And here to tell us more is Connor Semmelsberger, who is Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. Connor, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be on today. Yeah. Now, in this report, you all say that Joe Biden is cementing himself as the most anti-life, anti-family president ever. And I think probably a lot of Christians would say he's worse than Barack Obama. Is that really true? It is. And, you know, we don't just say that as conjecture or hypotheticals, but in, in the actual actions that have taken place, like you said, in these last hundred days, um, when we talk about abortion funding, uh, pales into comparison what Obama did in his entire first term, let alone his entire first 100 days. When it comes to redefining sex in the human family, again, positions that, you know, Vice President Biden at the time and President Obama took years and years to start pushing from the White House has already been rolling out the gate from day one. And so this really is becoming the most anti-life and anti-family administration that we have ever seen. Yeah. Well, for example, this one is really amazing. You have this COVID-19 relief package that's about $2 trillion. Biden made almost $468 billion available through this package for abortion and abortion businesses, necessitating the question, what does that have to do with COVID-19? Yeah, and I'd love to break that down because that's really uh, the antithesis of all of the, these um, actions we have tracked, right? A $1.9 trillion COVID package that was sold and continues to be sold to the American people as providing necessary relief. Well, when we talk about that funding that's available, it's not the specific line items that say, hey, this much is going to go to abortions here, this much for abortion clinics there. However, a lot of this funding year after year requires pro-life protections like the Hyde Amendment, prohibits taxpayer funding for abortions here, that the Helms Amendment does the same thing for abortions abroad, right? These key protections that both Democrats and Republicans alike have agreed upon for 40 plus years that normally would apply to these funds to make clear, hey, we, the Congress, do not want this fund even being considered to be used for abortion. Instead, with the Biden administration, with the help of Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in the Senate, made sure this package got passed without those key protections, allowing states, health care programs, community health centers, the like, to be able to use this fund if they so choose for abortion. Well, and something that needs to be pointed out for people who might not remember this, but back in the day, Joe Biden was all for the Hyde Amendment. So what happened? 
Yeah, you know what? He was he was at the time a senator from Delaware, really behind some of these common sense pro life policies. He even made a claim, you know, when it came to abortion, I was as liberal as your grandmother. And boy, has that changed? You know, just as he rose up the ranks, was the vice president, and be, continued to to want to be the president of the United States. He continued to just instead of listening to what were his Catholic values at the time, instead listening to Planned Parenthood in the abortion industry. And that's why you see him supporting uh, uh, repealing the Hyde Amendment and continuing to fund abortion and abortion businesses to degrees we've never seen in American history. Well, right now, he also repealed the Mexico City policy, and uh, the reversal of that under Donald Trump was widely hailed, as it should have been by those of us who are very, very pro-life. But talk a little bit about that, repealing the Mexico City policy. What does that effectively do? Yeah, so this is really important. Under Republican administration, since Ronald Reagan, uh, they've put in place a policy called Mexico City policy to say, hey, our global family planning funds, they're not going to be going to um, abortion businesses overseas. They either perform or refer for abortions. That's just not how we're going to perform our uh, USAID around the globe. Uh, But when Democrats' presidents have gotten in the past, they always repeal that. They say, you know what, we are going to do this. We're going to lead as a pro-abortion country around the globe. And so, yeah, President Trump took monumental steps to not just put in place what had been in place through the Bush years and and his dad before him, but even expanded it to around $8 billion in global health funds that said, our funds will not subsidize the abortion industry, those abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood overseas. And so that was a major accomplishment under the Trump administration. And within the first week or second week of the Biden administration, they repealed that, allowing, I think, around $12 billion to now be available to groups like International Planned Parenthood to continue to grow their abortion uh, business during the COVID pandemic. Uh, It just makes you sick. You know, one of the major things, though, that I think a lot of people still don't know about is the fact that you had both President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris putting out a statement on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade on January 22nd and outlining that they want Roe codified in federal law. I mean, that's that's just such a major announcement. How in the world are they going to do that if they actually are able to do that? Yeah. So again, this is this is terrifying stuff when we talk about taking what was a, a, an ill-advised court decision from the 70s and making it federal statute, federal law to basically say prior to viability, like Roe did, almost no uh, types of pro-life laws around the states or pro-life restrictions are allowed to stay in place. And that would be a bill they would try to pass in Congress. It actually had a hearing um, last year to essentially codify a row. And, but what that does is it completely goes against the will of the American people. You might hear surveys, hey, the majority of Americans support the central tenets of row, but those questions are so miscommunicated. Um, but when you break down the actual policies of row, which did allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy um, as the default, it allowed... Um, post-viability bans after 24 weeks, but the default, unless the state had enacted a viability ban, was, yep, abortion's illegal through all nine months. If you ask the American people what they think about that, the overwhelming majority opposed that. And so Mm -hmm. if they were to continue to push this further abortion, push through codifying Roe, it would be contrary to the democratic process that we know. Good grief. Well, something else, the Office of Population Affairs at Health and Human Services announced the plan to repeal the Trump Protect Life rule that governed Title 10. Now, this was This was a big deal. What are they planning to do here with making this announcement? 
Yes. So again, the Protect Life role, what it did was separated abortion from family planning, which has been the intent from that program ever since its conception in the 70s. And so Trump administration said, if you're a Planned Parenthood and you're an abortion business, you're not allowed to take our federal dollars and continue to do your abortion services right down the hall. So Planned Parenthood withdrew from the program, sacrificing about $60 million in federal funds, which is a huge win for the pro-life community. And the Biden administration came in faster at a faster pace than we ever could have expected and say, we're, we're reversing course. We're going right back to send this money to abortion providers. And on top of that, we're going to mandate that any single provider that wants to just provide simple family planning services has to refer for abortions, even if they have a, a moral or conscious objections. And that's actually contrary to federal law that does actually afford those protections for health care providers. Yeah, then how do they get away with that if that's in violation of federal law? Yeah, so this this is a new law that actually, um, that w- the Weld Amendment is what I'm referring to, was passed in 2004 uh. under mm-hmm. President Bush. And so this would be the first time since then that they would put these into practice. So mm-hmm. what, what we need to do as the pro-life community is really actually weigh in. When the, when the Biden administration is currently um, revising these rules, they actually have to take public comments. So if you go to the Federal Register or even our website um, at Washington Watch where we give a link to it, you, the American public, can comment to say, hey, tell the Biden administration what you think of changing course and reversing back to what was a mandate for abortion referrals that President Clinton put in place that now Biden wants to re-up, even though the federal laws have changed. So please weigh in, make your voice be heard that, hey, we do not want our tax dollars going to abortion providers, and we do not want health care providers being forced against their consciences to refer for abortion. Well, that's good. I mean, sometimes people feel like they don't have any say and no voice at all, but that's a great way to kind of come back and say, hey, this isn't the will of the American people. Mm-hmm. Another thing, that, and I want to get this in before we have to run to a, bo- a break here, Connor, but uh, back on April 13th, the FDA announced it wouldn't be enforcing longstanding federal regulations requiring chemical abortion pills to be dispensed in person. I mean, again, we're back to the same dangerous scenario where just make it more and more and more easy for women to kill their children, regardless of whether or not women might be harmed in the process. This is basically turning back the clock to whenever they claimed so many women were dying in the streets because there was not legal abortion. This is exactly now what the abortion industry is wanting and advocating for. And I will just note this to end here. This, these regulations that the Biden administration says, you know what, we're not going to enforce them. There's no need for safety protocols. They were put in place by President Clinton um, and at the end of his term in 2000 and re-upped by President Obama. So he is choosing to not enforce a regulation put in place by both his Democrat pre- predecessors. It's just staggering. It really is staggering to listen to everything that's been going on. And we hardly are getting started on this term of this president. And there's a lot more to come, too. We're going to take a pause. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of President Biden's radical moves on life, on family, and on religious freedom. We'll come back after this. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. 
There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I think I speak for a lot of Christians when I say that many of us never thought it could get worse than Barack Obama when it came to being pro-abortion. But, well, his vice president, who's now in the White House, is certainly outdoing his former boss. It's just incredible to consider all that the Biden administration has been doing to try to upend and derail some of these most important issues that Christians care about, the issues of life, the issues of family, and the issue of religious freedom. And we are talking with Connor Semelsberger from the Family Research Council about this, tracking the Biden administration. They've got a great report out going into all the details on this. Now, Connor, let's talk a little bit about what the Biden administration has been doing to attack the family in particular. He, They love, as we know, going back to the days of Barack Obama and, and Vice President Biden at the time, they love the LGBT agenda. There's nothing, it seems, that the LGBT radicals want that these people don't want to give to them. What is some of the worst evidence that they are going about trying to attack male and female and attack Christians, really, uh, when they're going forward with some of this ideology. What's going on? Yeah, so they have out the gate already accomplished more than they could have ever dreamed under the Obama administration when it comes to promoting the LGBT community at the dispense of families and religious freedom across the country. Some specifics come to mind, primarily the change in federal policy for the military, something FRC and others really worked hard through the Trump administration to say, and even in the name of military readiness, we cannot be subsidizing, paying for, and having our troops go through transgender services on the taxpayer's dime. And the Trump administration put in a good policy that really, you know, made sense for the Department of Defense almost day one that was repealed right back to where things were under the Obama administration. Beyond that, they're expanding across more than we ever could have hoped or, you know, could have expected in the education space, whether it's women's sports, allowing, you know, uh, biological males to compete in women's sports, or even just mandating uh, the bathroom policies that we know are just unsafe for, for women and girls across our schools. They are really being more aggressive more aggressive, again, on all these fronts than we could have ever imagined. Well, when you're talking about the bathroom policy, that was such a big issue at the time you had the government putting out a letter to all these public schools, advising them to allow children to go into locker rooms and bathrooms that corresponded with how they felt about their sex, regardless of what biology dictates. 
There are some questions, though, in people's minds about how much the federal government can really do to force that on the schools. Um, And now, of course, we have the Bostock decision that's been decided by the Supreme Court. How how can they go forward in the area of the bathroom policy in public schools, Connor? Explain that a little bit to us, because I think it's a little unclear for many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And so a lot of these things, like what you referenced under the Obama administration, were those letters. Those are sort of that more guidance. Hey, we're the federal administration. We're going to give guidance. This is what we expect out of our public schools, right? As opposed to like, hey, we're mandating. Yeah. But the Biden administration, again, on the hacks of the Bostock decision, which came out last summer, the big implications of this we haven't even seen yet. It's just mm-hmm. the tip of the iceberg. This decision basically said in the Civil Rights Act, the definition of discrimination on the basis of sex for work purposes and employment purposes actually means sexual orientation and gender identity. The Biden administration has taken that as little inch they needed to basically blow the door open, expand that even more so, whether that's mandates on schools, whether that's mandates for employers all across the country. That's what they're taking, again, on the backs of what the Supreme Court decided, read into, reinterpreted that definition of sex to make it basically whatever they wanted it to say. And so now they have the cover of the court to kind of go beyond what they had ever been able to do before. Well, here's what I don't understand, because you had this in federal law and you had an interpretation under the Obama administration by these bureaucrats and you know politically minded progressives. Oh yes, well sex in this federal civil rights law really means sexual orientation and gender identity. When the Supreme Court backs them up on that and there's no involvement by Congress, what is going on? How how is how is it that you could get to that place and Congress doesn't even get to weigh in on it? I mean really the Supreme Court is weighing in on what the bureaucrats were doing, not what Congress did. It's very confusing. It is. And you know what? We're seeing this on so many fronts right now in our, our society, right? This further erosion of democracy. Congress continuing to get relegate their duties over to the executive branch. So it's just the bureaucrats and whoever's in charge at the time running our federal policies, continuing to relegate their duty, frankly, to these corporations and these big corporate boards and everything you can think of. They are the ones determining what our policies are. They use their power and their might through finances and, you know, financing of projects, et cetera, to bully states, to bully places to say they're taking away voters' rights to be able to vote for who they want and debate these things in Congress and state legislatures across the country, that has basically been relegated to the rolling class, whether that's in the courts, in the executive branch, or like I mentioned, the corporations. And they're the ones determining, you know what, this is how we view sex in, in the family and how they interact, instead of having these conversations in the democratic process that our founders set up so many years ago. Well, yeah, and just as an aside, when you look at how Biden came in just like a lion out of a cage, going executive action after executive action after executive action, and as you mentioned before, moving more and way, more away from the separation of powers that the founders had envisioned, that we actually have a body that's supposed to make law. It's not supposed to be one guy coming in, issuing all kinds of executive orders to go along with his uh, political ideals. It should be all of us working together in the system. But what What do you make of the executive order becoming just this out of control way that any president could use to get his will and to get his agenda through and and bypass Congress? I mean, is is there going to be a tipping point, do you think, where Congress will push back and say this is way out of control and we're going to get back to what we're supposed to be doing? Do you see any kind of movement along those lines? Yeah, and you know what? I do have hope, right? We have so many new members, a great freshman class that was elected to the House last year. I'm sure so many more members ready, gearing the fight to 
run for Congress and come to the come to DC to represent the people that really true truly believe in their duty to represent the American people. And you hit you hit it exactly right on the executive orders. You know when President Trump was implementing pro life policy after pro life policy, it was great, right? We were achieving things to move the the goals of protections for the unborn beyond what we could because Congress just was stuck in gridlock, right? Yeah, That's yeah. great. But just as we saw, all this is being undone right before eyes that quickly, right? So that whole idea that the executive has that much power to just flip a switch not only are these turns more rapid, right, instead of, you know, long eight-year terms for each president, it's probably quicker four-year spurts, but the, the switches on and off are so much more radical. Folks that are in the American public are interacting with our government are seeing two totally different governments from a few months ago when Trump was in office to Biden. And that's right what you got back to, which is Congress needs to take back their duties. We need to elect those folks that go to, the, to D.C., come right here in D.C. and represent the people that, that voted and, and yeah. really go through those public debates what the Senate needs to be, debates and actually put these laws in place and make sure the executive branch actually follows them as they set up. Yeah, so there's accountability there. I agree with you completely. As much as I loved what Trump did with executive order, I did not like the way it was done because of exactly what you've stated. It, what you can do, your your next guy can, can undo. And so you just go back and forth and that's not how it's supposed to be. On the issue of religious liberty, Connor, can you fill us in a little bit on where we are on that issue under the Biden administration? What are some of the more problematic things that the president has been doing in relation to individual uh, religious liberty and also religious liberty internationally. Yeah, so I'll start out with the good. Um, we actually have some some slight positive developments in the international space, right? It's this sort of always been more of a bipartisan issue than domestic religious liberty. And Biden has made some good comments and continued some, not by any stretch, all of the good uh, progress made for international religious freedom under the Trump administration, but at least seems open to being able to promote those sort of things, whether it's in China or the Middle East. But when it comes to domestic religious liberty, he could not have a worse record. You know, using the Department of Justice, right, which normally their role is to continue to weigh in to protect First Amendment liberties and weigh in from in these judicial cases. The Department of Justice, he is stalking with radical associate uh, generals that just are going to push progressive priorities that undermine religious liberty, a great fundamental First Amendment freedom that we all have. Um, they're going to continue to do and promote from the Department of Justice. Beyond that, though, you can see it right already, right? Conservatives, Christians, in the name of, you know, going after religious freedom, they are painting good practicing Christians as radicals, yes, as, right. you know, far-right individuals that are domestic terrorists rather mm. than actually just law-abiding faithful Americans around the country. So they're using all the tools within their administration to attack people of faith that just believe in the fundamentals of life, of family, and of the Christian faith. And so it is going to be a tough slow to head, but luckily we have a judicial system in place that around the country Trump has stocked with great constitutional judges to continue to hopefully uphold uh, the right to religious freedom. Well, one of the upsides, I think, with the Supreme Court, even though they got the Bostock decision tragically wrong, but they have been so good on the issue of churches in California in particular and and have made so many good decisions regarding religious liberty that Gavin Newsom has been on the hot seat and has had to repeal a lot of what he was doing under the name of COVID-19 restrictions. So there still is something to be celebrated, is there not, with the appointments that President Trump was able to make to the Supreme Court? 
No, you're right. There are. There are a lot of good things, and I think that doesn't get highlighted enough, right? I think it's at least five, maybe six um, lockdown orders in California that were struck down on religious freedom grounds by this U.S. Supreme Court. So that is great to see. You never know exactly where every single justice, when they get in there, is going to roll on each issue. That's just sort of the nature of how these appointments work. But religious liberty is that one issue that across the board, these six conservative justices have, have really rallied around. And I hope that continues even beyond the COVID lockdown orders. But, you know, different areas of law whether it's just practicing your business according to your faith, et cetera, they will continue to uphold that, that right to religious freedom. Yeah, that, that's something positive to think about and to pray for. One other thing, I wanted to mention this before we run out of time, but the memo that President Biden issued on advancing the human rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex persons around the world. How much do you see this issue of we're going to push the LGBT agenda on the whole world ramping up? Is that going to be a big effort or was that kind of a token thing that he did to appease the radicals? No, again, back to that. It's a tip of the iceberg. That policy put out, right, you even just read it, it sounds like alphabet soup. But yes, to yes. them, that is something they truly believe in in the worldview of promoting this radical sex ideology, which includes promotion of abortion and the understanding of human sexuality and family that, frankly, is so contrary to how most of the world outside of the West, like us in the U.S., believes, right? Yeah. They believe in the institution of marriage in and, and a lot of these African and South American countries, you know? And so they want to be that torchbearer of what, of what their version of human human rights are. You're totally a human right, right to abortion, a human right to sexuality, however you define it. It's a very uh, damaging thing for us to be leading that around the globe. And so hopefully we can take our cues from those countries that have continued to uphold life, yep. uphold a, yep. a fundamental understanding of life and, and family. Excellent. You can check out frcaction.org slash Biden actions to read more. Connor Semmelsberger, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be on. God bless you. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's Janet. In his recent speech before Congress, Politico notes that President Biden managed to lay out perhaps the most ambitious health agenda in decades, speaking like a president dead set on transforming the entirety of the nation's health system. Yikes. As the site notes, there was the pitch for expanding Medicare's coverage and benefits and the call for building out Obamacare and cutting enrollees deductibles. He proposed creating a brand new health research agency and argued the U.S. could find the cure to cancer if only it made the investment. And in his quest to expand Obamacare at a cost of $200 billion, the president said this, let's give Medicare the power to save hundreds of billions of dollars by negotiating lower prices for prescription drugs. That won't just help people on Medicare. It will lower prescription drug costs for everyone. The money we save can go to strengthen the Affordable Care Act, expand Medicare coverage and benefits without costing taxpayers one additional penny. Okay, who believes this? As National Review pointed out, there's no basis on which to claim that Medicare 
Obamacare could save hundreds of billions of dollars by negotiating drug prices. And so they pointed out that what he effectively did was manufacture phony savings and then claim he will use those supposed savings for some magical plan to pay for hundreds of billions of dollars in liberal wish list spending. Ah, the whole thing is insane. It should remind us why clear thinking people opposed Obamacare in the first place. But we're going to get some thoughts on all of this now from Matt Bellis, who is chief communications officer for Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. So good to welcome you back, Matt. How are you doing? Always glad to be here with you, Janet. Thanks for having me. Always nice to have you. What is your take on the president's ambitions concerning our healthcare system? You know, it's amazing to hear that type of, of plan and rhetoric come from uh, the Biden administration, because the people of the United States, when it comes to health care and Obamacare and uh, the ACA and what all went down with that, we've got a pretty long memory yes. when it comes to the promises that were made with the Affordable Care Act and what reality actually happened. Uh, the promises that there would be lower costs, that each family would be able to save thousands of dollars, that the general cost of health care would go down, that it would contribute to better outcomes. Uh, we have not seen that one, uh, one metric driver at all. Right. Uh, we have seen an increase in costs up to 20% in, uh, in people's individual health care costs, and when it comes to the price of health care, that has actually skyrocketed mm-hmm. far beyond what is actually predicted in terms of inflation. Uh, there was a, a promise for greater access, but what we saw was a lot of the smaller rural hospitals actually go out of business. There right. were uh, a number of closures all across the country, so uh, people had to go to larger hospital systems and consolidate things, and so that caused problems. You know, when it came to people's individual needs about lower costs and greater access, the ACA unfortunately promised much more than it was able to deliver. And seeing that the Biden administration uh, and a lot of the people who are a part of it now were also a part of it under an Obama administration that made those promises, I don't think that the American people are going to believe those types of policy promises when it comes to health care in general. People have been seeing much greater outcomes when it comes to things that have to deal with with marketplace solutions. So being able to control your costs and having price transparency, being able to uh, visit a doctor of your choice, being able to negotiate your own bills. People have actually dropped out of the system, not because they can't afford insurance, but because they just want to find something better. So what people have been seeing in the promises and what's been delivered by the government have not added up one cent over what people are able to pay. Well, that is such a good, good point, Matt. All those points are good. But when you make the basic point that people have long memories, we remember all these huge promises, as you mentioned, in 2009. Oh, oh, don't worry. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Not to mention the fact that this was pointed out in an article that I read. The Congressional Budget Office actually concluded that the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, any leverage that that secretary would have over being able to negotiate drug programs prices would be would have a negligible effect on federal spending because how do you have a government official threatening to walk away from negotiating over a drug when the fallout would be that Medicare beneficiaries would go nuts for not being able to get that drug? It, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous on its face. Even the CBO says so. That's a fantastic point. And honestly, 
what we're asking these uh, Washington bureaucrats to do to be able to know and control for and be able to uh, predict in terms of what people need individually is an impossible task. Yes. The only way that we're going to receive greater uh, price reductions and greater access and more care that we want is to drive the decision-making process for health care to as small a party as possible, and it should reside within the individual patient. Right. They should be able to make the decisions on what they need and be able to do that in consultation with their doctor governed by market forces rather than Washington bureaucrats. Talk a little bit, if you would, Matt, about why what you said works as opposed to this sprawling, bloated, overspending bureaucracy that has become Obamacare. Why is it that it is much more effective to have the individual in charge rather than trusting the government? Well, there are just honestly basic economic principles by which we need to adhere by. When it comes to health care or, frankly, anything that we pay for, the most effective, efficient way of spending money is if an individual person is going to spend it on themselves. They know what they want, and they know how to make sure that they get the right efficiencies. What we've developed in healthcare today is the exact opposite of what the most effective, efficient way is. You're spending somebody else's money on someone else. We've divorced the patient from the actual cost of health care, so people arrive to the hospital with almost an entitlement mentality because they've paid for their health care already and they should just get whatever's coming to them, not caring one moment for what the actual price of health care is. That's no way to develop an effective, efficient system where we have scarce commodities. So we need to bring that decision-making process those drugs, those processes in, in health care to, uh, to the individual patient where they're empowered. And that's when you will see the cost of health care decrease and the actual access of health care increase. Good deal. Well, you know, when we're talking about Liberty Health Share, which is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry, you guys do things differently. As you talked about, there is a lot more individual control and you are sharing your health care expenses with other people who are part of Liberty Health Share as well. How well does that work in practice when you actually are looking at the system itself and doing it a different way, apart from Obamacare and the exchanges, apart from private third party payer health insurance policies that people tend to have? What's the biggest advantage in that aside from what we've just discussed? Well, the biggest advantage is that the individual patient who is backed up by a community of support so that whenever those big bills come down the line that they weren't expecting, that they're able to pay for those. But the individual person, now that they're in charge of their health care, the way that we've set it up with Liberty Health Share, they've got skin in the game. Right. They're a part of the decision-making process. They have responsibility and freedom in health care again along with all of the benefits that you get from being able to do that within choice and, and the freedom to move about within healthcare, but the individualized patient is able to know what they're paying for in healthcare, has the freedom to negotiate, to ask for what the cost of something is going to be, uh, and have that uh, boldness in healthcare to say, I'm going to be able to take care of my health care bills. I'm going to be able to take responsibility because I've got a community behind me willing to back me up in times of need. 
yet I'm going to be on the front uh, front lines having an ownership mindset over my health that makes sure we're paying for as little possible uh, for my health care with the greatest effectiveness. And if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And that's actually Absolutely. a fact. <laughs> that's actually a fact. And and I mean, this is this is such an important thing for people to know about as we're looking at the overhaul once again, potentially of health care and more bloated bureaucracy. It's just kind of a nightmare. But LibertyHealthShare.org will give you more information. Matt Bell is Chief Communications Officer for Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry joining us. Always good to visit with you, Matt. Keep up the good work. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. What was that old line about Nero fiddles while Rome burns? Seems a little apropos in our own day, doesn't it? When I look across the spectrum and I see what in particular some of these federal government agencies are doing, the just out of control wokeness. And you're thinking to yourself, at least I am, We have so many problems as a country. I, again, will go on record as saying it's obvious that we're under a form of God's judgment. If not the final judgment, we're certainly under a form of judgment for our sin and for all the ways in which we have squandered the blessings of the Lord over the years and rejected him and and really shaken our fist at him in many ways. It's just, it's a big subject, as you know. But you look at what has been going on in the the corporations that have become more and more woke. We've talked about that before 
the woke capital problem. We've seen the wokeness enter the church. We've seen the wokeness enter the educational system. We talk about critical race theory and intersectionality and all of this nonsense that is permeating absolutely everything that we live in and swim in as American citizens every single day. But when it starts getting to the level of government agencies that are responsible for things like crime fighting like the FBI or the CIA, which is tasked with the incredibly important duty of intelligence around the world, making sure they know what our enemies are up to so they can work ahead and and take out anybody necessarily, not necessarily physically, but to to know about the threats that are coming to us and deal with them before they actually become reality a la 9-11. That's the job of the CIA. But the CIA is apparently more concerned, not with your skills or your education as somebody who would be qualified to serve in the CIA, but now they really are showing their hand that what they really care about is your wokeness. Now, I find this amazing because just as a side personal note, there was a time when that was actually where I wanted to work. I had taken Russian all through school, high school and college, and I wanted to work there. And thank the Lord it didn't pan out. It almost panned out. Then I said, I don't think this is probably for me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You knew what you were doing. But I want you to listen to this ad. It's a recruitment ad for the CIA that is making the rounds on social media. And I know a lot of listeners don't necessarily have social media, which is why I love you so much. Uh, Not that I hate you people who have social media. I love you, too. Uh, But I'm just saying, if if you have opted to not be on social media, you're probably a much happier person knowing what's out there. Let's listen to this ad. This is an, an ad, again, a, cr- a recruitment ad for the CIA, and it encourages Americans to command their space. And I can't even do it justice. The woman you're going to be hearing here is an unnamed CIA official and her story as the daughter of immigrants. This is cut one. When I was 17, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels to Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Zora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. Not a box checking exercise after you just finished checking every box you could possibly check. I'm a cisgender millennial. Who in the world goes around talking like that? First of all, cisgender just means normal. <laughs> it just means normal. It means you're a woman who's attracted to men, which is, by the way, the way God designed you. So it's normal. That's all it means. It is a sexual radical word that means nothing except differentiating you from homosexuality, which is just as viable in their view. No, you're just a normal woman. You're a millennial, which means you're in your 30s. Why do people have to designate themselves in categories all the time? Because this is how wokeness works. I am intersectional. What does that even mean? 
I'm intersectional. Oh, I've been diagnosed with this disorder. What, what does that have to do with anything? What is changing a diaper with one hand and consoling a toddler with the other have to do with the issue of gathering intelligence to keep the United States of America safe? This has nothing to do with anything having to do with the job of being a CIA agent. It's just ridiculous. And by the way, when she talks about I'm so qualified, I'm so great, and I'm I'm perfectly made, and I'm really smart, and I'm like, then you should be smart enough to not talk like this, because when you start defining yourself by categories, you're going directly against what Martin Luther King advocated: is that we are not supposed to be identified and judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. It really doesn't matter ultimately what your skin color is if you're taking a government job. I know that's not woke to say that because we now have a diversity chief there. It's all about the whole bean counting thing. And all it does is divide people, as we know. And that's the point. That's the point. And she doesn't, by the way, end her sentences with question marks either. And you're probably saying, why does that matter? Well, it doesn't. But this is the rest of the ad. Listen to cut two. I am a walking declaration, a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified and competent. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons. And I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me. Full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. Okay, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? So you're so proud of yourself, and yet you say you don't tick off boxes as you tick off boxes. You're intersectional. You have a generalized anxiety disorder. Maybe you have a generalized anxiety disorder because you're grievance mongering all the time. Who wants to live like that? I mean, I see TikTok videos online. I see some of these people who are making all kinds of statements on the Internet. And I think these people have to be the most miserable, angry people in the world. And you know something? That's exactly what the elites want. That's how you divide a nation. That's how you weaken a nation. And ultimately, that's how you destroy a nation. Think about this for a moment. If wokeness is the highest good within the confines of the CIA, such that they would highlight it as the most important thing for any recruit, what does that tell you about what they're actually doing behind closed doors? Are you guys actually, you know doing your jobs or are you just sitting around giving each other medals for being woke? That's not going to keep us safe as Americans. And don't you know that you look at some of our foreign enemies, most especially China, which is uh, continually building up its military, continually rattling the saber, continually going after us on on online hacking and all the who knows what else they're planning. 
And meanwhile, we have a president who's completely in their back pocket, if you were to believe all of the revelations over the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, which, by the way, doesn't seem to be very important because the FBI would rather, you know, ignore the Hunter Biden scandal and instead raid Rudy Giuliani. That's the most important thing. That's the important. Rudy Giuliani is a tremendous threat to the United States. But Hunter Biden, he's coming out with a book. Did you know that? He has a book and he has a really cool book. And did you know that he's just a nice guy? Look at what's being done to this country. Where does it end? What happens when you have a government that is plain at being serious in such serious times? I don't have any faith that we would be ready or we would be prepared if we were to be the subject of a serious attack by China or by Russia or by Iran, which, by the way, they want to still play footsie with via the Iran deal. You're not safe. You're just not safe. You're not as safe as you probably would have been only a year or so ago. And it does matter who's in charge. You know, I'm old enough to remember what happened in 1979 when Jimmy Carter was hapless when it came to the hostages being held over there in Iran. Couldn't get it done. In comes Ronald Reagan. Boom. Hostages come home. It does make a difference who you elect. It does make a difference who you vote for. And I just think we need to pray for this country like never before. But we also need to stand in the gap and to speak up and to tell the truth and not just sit back and let all this stuff wash over us like some kind of uncontrollable tsunami. It's not uncontrollable. And God has not taken his hand off this earth. He loves us. He delights to be merciful. And he listens to his people when they pray. Please pray for our beloved country. We must leave it there. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in on Janet Meffer today.